Welcome to the Bethel Podcast. Thank you for taking time out of your day to spend time in God's Word. We hope that today's message blesses you and lifts you. Let me ask you a question as we start tonight. And I want you to think about this. How many prayers do you think you have prayed in your lifetime? A couple? Now, I'm, I just did some math, and I want to see if this might be a, just an estimate. So say you've served the Lord 30 years, and let's say you've prayed maybe 15 to 20 prayers on Sunday. As you know, there's needs on Sunday, and then maybe you've prayed two or three a day throughout the week. That's just a conservative estimate. With that number, you've prayed about 78,000 prayers in... Um, in 30 years. Now, some of you would say, man, I've prayed more than that. And that's quite possible, but, but my point is, is of those 78,000 prayers, how many do you think you've prayed and you've prayed wrong? Have you ever prayed a prayer that maybe didn't have the right motive behind it, the right, the right um, intent behind it? Is there any chance you ever prayed a wrong prayer? I had a, there was a young guy who was just zealous for God, and he said this, he said, uh, we were praying one day in a circle, and he said, God, send us some demons so we can cast them out of people. And I don't know what kind of, I, I'm not sure how that, on the, on the prayer scale, where that comes in. But I appreciate his, his, his desire to see God move. But it got me to thinking that every prayer that we pray sometimes is not the right prayer. And so there came a time in the life of the disciples where they prayed a wrong prayer, but Jesus so lovingly and graciously helped them to turn it around. So go with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse number 35. We're reading out of the New King James Version tonight. Just to remind you that the funeral for Dana Hoover is, um, is Wednesday. It's in Springdale First Assembly, and it's at 2 o'clock. Visitation is that Tuesday night. So uh, we're going to send flowers to them as well. And just, I know if you're not able to go, just be praying for that family because I know that I know that I know they will appreciate it. Mark chapter 10, verse number 35. It says, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. He said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on, the left, on your left in your glory. That was their petition to Jesus. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the bapti- excuse me, baptism that I am baptized with? And they said to him, We are able. So Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand, on my left hand, is not mine to give, but for those for whom it's prepared. And of course, when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. But Jesus called to them, and here's the moment where he begins to, to teach. He said, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whosoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus, teach us to serve. 
Teach us to be servants to those that you place around us. We understand that the world way is that to lead, you got to tell people what to do. And the more people that you have to tell what to do, the better leader you are. But Jesus, you said to serve those around you. and Help us to get that on the inside of us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, they did what Jesus asked them to do, didn't they? Let me read it to you again. Mark 10, 35. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And you remember as a Bible student that John 14 says, Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So they were taking Jesus up on his word, weren't they? Jesus, you said, ask you and, ask you and you'll do it. We're asking you, and here's our particular petition and our request. Now, it was God's word, but it wasn't his will. Do you know there's a difference between the two? Sometimes we pray and we take God and ask Him to, to hold on to His Word, but His Word is not necessarily His will. And I'm learning that very firsthand today because somebody that I prayed for and I believed that God wanted to heal did not make it and went to glory. So I, have you been there? Where what your, your will was was different from what the Word said. The Word was different from what God's will is. And, and so there's this kind of, if you understand where I'm at, there's this kind of, you're kind of torn on the inside. You wonder, did I not have enough faith? Did I not say it the right way? Did we not pray correctly? What went wrong that God didn't answer? Friends, sometimes God just has a higher will than our will. Sometimes He just knows better than you and I do. And that's not times to be discouraged, even though you may feel that way, but it's time to trust that He really is a sovereign God. Listen, He's a sovereign God, and we can trust Him, and we can depend upon Him, can't we? Even those things that are closest to us, even those times that people don't reach, really come to the place where they really believe that God will do something, even those times God doesn't answer like He, like he says He will, sometimes we just have to trust that He is God. So to get my will and God's will lined up is, is a challenge, isn't it? Now let me say this because I've heard ministers say this. They've said, if you say, if it be thy will, that is a faith-killing statement. I've heard him say that. If you say, and you're praying, and then you say, God, if it's your will, they would say, you just kill the faith of that prayer, and God's not obligated to do it. And let me just take, let me just kind of correct that little that thinking, line of thinking there. I understand what they're trying to say. They want us to believe what we're praying. Because there is power when you believe that God will do what He said He will do. But sometimes God says otherwise, His will trumps our will. Even in the Lord's Prayer, He says, Lord, He says, in the Lord's Prayer, as you pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Say it with, say it with me. Thy will be done. And the truth of the matter is, is we want God's will, don't we? Of all the things that happen, we really want God's will because we know that's the best course of action that could ever be taken place. So sometimes if you pray that, Lord, if it be thy will, can I tell you, my friend, it's not faith killing. It's something that Jesus even said to pray when he gave us the Lord's Prayer. So I guess the question that would be is before we pray is, Lord, what is your will? That'd be a good place to start, wouldn't it? Lord, what is your will? What's your plan, God? What's your purpose? And then let me pray that particular, that, that particular purpose. 
Because on the flip side, there's times that I've done the opposite of that, that somebody said that their spouse was, uh, a lady said her spouse was in the hospital, and I began to talk to her about, you know, preparing her heart for him to go to heaven. And lo and behold, a minister went up there, prayed for him, and the next day he was out of the hospital. I felt about that big. So the thing is, is we got to find out, God, what's the purpose and the plan that you have for this, this particular situation, this particular time? Because see, we re- realize this, John and, John and James were really after the, the, the Word of God. They wanted to take Jesus at His Word, but God's Word was not Jesus. The will of Jesus, Word of Jesus was not His will, and He had to correct them. So were these guys, do you think they were just glory seekers? You think James and John just wanted to be the... They just wanted to be that person, you know, the guys that had the, the notoriety of sitting next to Jesus, or was there something different? Because I think that they weren't really glory seekers. I think they just wanted to go all the way with Jesus. Do you know what I'm talking about, going all the way with Jesus? I, see, the thing is, when you came into this, all of a sudden you had this desire to do something for God, didn't you? When you realize what Jesus had done for you, but washed away your sins, you just had a desire to go all the way, to do this thing, Christian thing, as good as you could. You want to do everything you can. I remember the, telling the preacher, look, I just want to be the perfect Christian. I want to be the first Christian who's done it perfectly. Guess what he did? He started laughing. He said, I understand you want to do something for God, and I understand when you want to do it right. He said, but I promise you, you won't be perfect, but that that desire to do something for God is God-given. I think that's where they were. I think they just wanted to do something for God, and they were zealous to do it. I don't necessarily think that they were really looking for glory. So the thing is, is we realize this, that as we're talking about heaven, and we're talking about the will of God, and talk about serving people and how Jesus said the greatest way to, 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 to do something for him is to serve other people. Did you see that in there? Of all the things he said, he said, look, you, you, it's not my mind to give that place to you. He said, but if you really want to lead people, if you want to really want to have influence, then serve other people. Serve. That's the key, isn't it? To serve those around us. In this world, we think promotion and we think position in this world, we think the highest, the highest honors are the highest seats at the table. But Jesus corrects our theology. He tells us, listen, if you really want to go all the way, if you really want to know the will of God, if you really want to be promoted in the kingdom of God, serve those around you. Did you know this? There are, there are rewards in heaven. There are plaques that God, you will be given when you get to heaven. I wanted to go over those tonight. Because I want you to know that there's something waiting on you. And in the meantime, while we're here, let's do everything we can to get those rewards. Amen? Now, let me start, if I can, first of all. There are crowns, the Bible says, that which we'll call the rewards in heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25 explains one of the crowns that's waiting on those who receive them in this lifetime. Here's the thing. you got to get the crowns in this lifetime to be able to receive them up there. You can't get up there and say, hey, how much is that one right there? So the first crown I want to talk to you about that's waiting on those who serve in this life is verse number 25. He says, everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. He's saying, look, there's a a crown, people that run the race of faith. 
Some do it for, for a perishable crown, but for those of us who are looking towards heaven, there's an imperishable crown that we're that we looking for there. He says, I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. I discipline my body and bring it to subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I might, my, might myself should have become disqualified. It's a crown. This is, it's, we'll call it the victor's crown. It's a, it's a crown that believers lived with a life aiming to win at the Christian life. It's a believer whose desire is to win in this thing, not in this life, but the next one. Do you understand that? See, the thing is, Corinth in that particular day, they had the second largest games behind the Olympic Games. So the people of Corinth knew what it was like to have to train for a, for a competition. Whether it was wrestling or swimming or running or throwing or whatever, they understood the dedication the determination it took to be able to be qualified to become a champion. And they equate that, Paul's equate that to them because he said the exact same discipline it takes to be a champion on the earth is the kind of discipline it takes to be a champion over there. He said, so run this race with dedication. Run this race with determination. Run this race with a focus on life that the one thing you want to do is achieve a goal, not here but over there. See, the thing is, is I understand if you've ever played any kind of sports or recreation, you understand it takes d determination to win. You've got to push everything aside. You've got to focus only on the goal that you have. When everybody else is sleeping, you're up exercising. When everybody else is doing something else, you're focused on the goal because you're trying to win the prize. Do you understand that you and I are trying to win a prize? You and I have to stay focused. We have to stay disciplined on the prize. We can't get sidetracked with the things of this world. We can't see it so sidetracked with the people of this world. We have to focus on what's important, and what's important is that crown that's on the other side, that victor's crown. So we see there there's a victor's crown waiting in heaven for those who have narrowed their focus, and their aim is to live this Christian life. Now, secondly, there's another crown. Let me tell you a story about Mark Buntain. If you've never heard that name, Mark Buntain is kind of a hero in the Christian in the Assemblies of God. He's a hero in the Christian faith. When I say that, I mean he was a missionary to India, Calcutta, India, probably the one of the poorest areas, I'm sure, in the, wor in the world. But it was just it was slums, multiplied millions of people who lived in slums. And Mark Buntain went there with his wife. And as a young man in his 40s, he, he died. And I, I, I listened to a, a, a preacher preach one time from his, his nephew who was named Rich Wilkerson. And Rich said, he said, I've never seen a man so dedicated to a purpose. He said, I would go out to eat with him. He said, we'd be having a conversation, and all of a sudden he'd start talking. He'd stop talking, and he'd start praying. And he'd say, God, I pray for India. God, would you move in India? And Rich said, you know, we were sitting there talking about maybe a ball game or about family or something, and out of nowhere, he'd start praying, God, move upon the poor in India. Why is that? Because Mark had a focus in this life. He had a dedication to one cause, and that cause was the kingdom of God. There's a reward for that in heaven, to have that kind of passion, that desire to win at the Christian life, and that's called the victor's crown. Secondly, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 19. There's, secondly, there's a crown of rejoicing. And the crown of rejoicing is for those who have been diligent to win other people to Jesus. 
It reads like this, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? See, there are those people on this earth that have a desire not just to get there themselves, but to take other people along with them as well. And there's a reward for that. Isn't that good news? See, the thing is, it's not just enough to get there. It's that desire that I can do something with my life to bring somebody along to heaven with me. It's inviting that friend who doesn't serve God to church. It's teaching that class, teaching young boys and young girls or men and women to continue in the faith. It's praying for that backslidden co-worker or always inviting that, that co-worker to church. It's being a part of the salvation process. It's being a part of seeing people go to heaven. There's a crown. There's a reward for that. You say, well, how much do you got to do? I don't know, but I just know this. The person who has that desire, there's a crown, a reward waiting for them. Do you know why I'm here today? Somebody, somebody, somebody's saying, because you're the preacher. I'm here today because there were some people that had a desire to see people go to heaven, everybody go to heaven. The first one was a man by the name of Dusty Cowell. The church I attended when I was growing up was Park Hill Christian Church. Dusty Cowell was a youth pastor. He called me to go to, do, to youth events, things at the church, lock-ins that they would have. Do you know how many youth events I went to? Starts with a Z. Ends with Eero. Zero. Never went to one youth event, never went to one lock-in, never went to one Christmas carol, didn't do anything, but he kept calling and he kept calling. And the day that I walked the aisle and gave my life to Christ, when I walked to the back, when I walked to the back and people began to come to be dismissed, one of the first persons that came up to me was Dusty Cowell. He had tears in his eyes. He said, sometimes I wondered, God, why am I still calling this kid? He don't ever come. He doesn't ever participate. He almost sometimes even hangs up the phone before I even say goodbye. He said, but I just kept calling. It's the truth. He just kept calling. I'll stand before God in heaven and point at him and say, that's one of the reasons why I came, just because somebody took the time to call. The other man, another man that I, that I think well, the reason I'm here is a man by the name of Jack Hazelwood. He's a Baptist, a missionary evangelist. He went to be with the Lord. He had an office in the same building that my dad had an office in, so I always would walk by his door, and he'd always have an open door and sit and visit with me. And he would always begin just talk about different things, but for some reason, I guess because he was a preacher, he would always turn the conversation to the things of God. He was a golfer. I liked to play golf. His son played basketball. I loved athletics. So he would talk about that, but somehow he would always turn the conversation to the things of God. And no matter what I was going through, I knew I could always walk, through, walk in his office, sit in the chair, and he'd stop what he's doing, and he would listen to me. See, the door was always open. The last man is um, not just the minister who preached the sermon that I came to the Lord, but when I first came to God at Assemblies of God Church, it was a big church. And so usually I would come to, to church because I had just given my life to God. I was brand new. How many have ever been brand new to a church? How many can remember that feeling you get when you walk into a brand new church? Even if you've been in church your whole life, when you've got to switch gears and go to a place that you're not comfortable, familiar with, you're, you almost feel like everybody, everybody in the whole entire church is looking at you. You think when I, you raise your hand, they're all looking at you. You think if you're walking, through, you're walking around, you think everybody's just kind of watching you. 
And you just have that kind of just self-awareness. But I was the same way, but I'd never been to an Assembly of God church, especially a big one. So I walk in the door, and of course, where do we sit when we're brand new? In the closet. We just sit somewhere where nobody knows we're there, but I did. I came and sat in the back. And I, and, 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 and I loved how, because I'd never been a place in a spirit-filled church where something happened every time I went to church. It was just, I mean, it just, I just felt something that I never felt anywhere else. So I came early. And then I married Miss Leanne. And we've never been early since then. Y'all notice she's not here tonight, so you, this, be, this be between us. I came and sat on the back row. And, and this man, his name was Carl Moore. And Carl was the worship leader, so they were there for uh, worship to, um, to practice before service. So I would come in while there was worship, and I would kind of just watch everybody. And, of course, you know the worship leader, they're, the, they're, they're moving the fastest before service. They're going from here to there to the sound booth to the back, and they had a choir, a full choir, and so he was always busy. And, it, and, and one time he was walking, I was sitting back there, and he was walking past, walking past me to go upstairs, and he stopped and turned around. He turned around, Tom, and he came up to me, and he just smiled and put his hand out and said, hey, how you doing? And I said, I'm doing great. And it was kind of like, like if you ever shake a celebrity's hand. I mean, I was a nobody, and, and he was a somebody, but he stopped what he was doing to just come and see how, how I was. And, and, and the next week I came early again and, and while, the, while they were practicing and then all that, and he's running around, and guess what happened the next week? He walked by me, and he came right up to me, stopped again. He said, hey, good to see you again. He came up and shook my hand. And, and that doesn't sound like very much, does it, Carolyn? That doesn't really sound like anything that would, it, it's any kind of earth-shattering, but for some reason it did something to me. And some reason I knew that I could do this thing. And, and there were people that would cheer me on and people would help me and people would stop and visit. And I'll stand before God one day and say, thank you for Carl Moore, for Jack Hazelwood, and thank you for Dusty Cow because they took time to love somebody like me until I could get my feet in the door. All they did was serve. That's all they did. And I want you to know I pray that that crown of rejoicing for those that who are about the process of getting people to heaven. I pray every person I've ever pastored, every child I've ever birthed, every friend I've ever had will receive this crown. Amen? Thirdly today, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, begin to turn there, there's a crown of righteousness. There's a victor's crown, there's a crown of rejoicing, and thirdly, there's a crown of righteousness. Verse number 8 in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says this, he says, Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, but not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So we see there's another reward that God gives that's called this crown of righteousness. And this particular crown is all those who love and wait for Jesus Christ to come back. There are those that truly have a desire to see Jesus return uh, to earth. If you read the news every day, you realize that it's, <laughs> He needs to come back. That you read what's happening in the world today and the things that are going on, and you get discouraged and you get dis despondent, and you realize that this, then, then you wake up in the morning and you realize how old this body is getting. And you realize that, that there's, that, the one day that the one who's caused all this trouble is Satan, and, and you long for him to be thrown into the lake of fire once and for all. Can I get an amen? 
Listen, there's sometimes you've got to be just a little bit, uh, what's the word? You've got to just want to get even, get vengeance. Listen, there's coming a day that those slewfoot's going to be thrown in the lake of fire. I'm looking forward to that day. I pray I get to be there and watch it. You say, can you be there? Listen, everything that Satan has caused in this world, all the heartache that he's caused, one day he's going to get his. And that day is going to happen when Jesus Christ comes back to this earth and establishes himself as King of kings and Lord of lords. Can I tell you, all those who have, who have cursed him, all those who have, who have pushed him away, every knee and every tongue will bow to the name of Jesus Christ. That day that will come, can I tell you, once and for all, peace will be on this earth. No more babies will be hurt. No more bodies will be broken. No more, no more children will be harmed. Because in that day, he'll establish peace on this earth. He'll, he'll push down every single rebellion. The righteous will, will shine as the stars. And Almighty God will be not only King of heaven, but King of earth as well. And I can't wait for that day. And all those that love his appearing, he said, if you do that, he said, there's a, a crown waiting for you. It's called the crown of righteousness to those who love his appearing. I wonder, when I think about the people who've gone on before me, when I think about Dana Hoover, when I think about Robert Hoover, when I think about Brother Tillman, I think about Brother Ed, the conversations where we'd sit around and talk about the return of the Lord. And I wonder on that day when they came to heaven and they got before God, I wonder if he said, look, i got something else for you. He said, it's a crown of righteousness because I know that I know that you couldn't wait for me to come back to earth. Listen, I'm going to get one of them too. I'm getting one of them too. Are you all with me? I mean, I don't want anybody to be in heaven and have nothing to give Jesus. But I mean, the Bible says we're going to take our crowns off our head and toss them and give them to him. So it's not like we're going to keep them, but I don't want to have nothing to give to Jesus. I want to have something to give to him. He said, for those who love his appearing, there's a crown of righteousness that's awaiting. Fourthly tonight, Revelation chapter 2, verse number 10 says, there's a crown of life. A crown of life. Let me read this to you. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And you'll have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Let me read you James chapter 1, verse number 12. Blessed is the man that endures temptation. For when he's tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to him that love him. And this is those for believers who maintain their love for Christ amidst persecution temptation, and even martyrdom. For those who maintain their devotion to Jesus, even when times get tough. That's why you and I got to be overcomers. It's why you and I got to keep doing this thing no matter what other people say, no matter what other people do, no matter what the government says we can and can do, no matter what family members that say we can and can do, no matter how hard the struggle and the trial of life becomes, you and I have to persevere and overcome because there's a crown that's waiting on us at stake. And I believe this. I believe this, that you and I can do it. I believe he wouldn't have placed this crown in, in, in our path if he didn't think we could receive this crown of life. 
There's a crown at stake. It's why you can't give up on God. It's why you can't quit. See, lots of people have fallen along the race that you and I are are running, and that's why you and God can't give up and quit. That's why we have to pick one another up in the journey because there's something at stake called the crown of life, the crown of life. You say, Pastor, have you ever wanted to quit? (laughs) Have you? (laughs) Yes, I've wanted to quit. I've wanted to quit pastoring. Sometimes every Monday morning I want to quit. By Tuesday, the Lord, Holy Spirit starts speaking to me to get me to go back to church on Wednesday. You say, oh, you're not supposed to do that. You're, you're the pastor. Sometimes I want to quit. Sometimes I just want to go off and do something else, but I can't because there's a crown at stake. What about you? You wanted to quit, hadn't you, on God? Oh, you not, not give up, you know, go to hell or anything like that, but just quit up on the purpose and the plan He has for your life. Sometimes I just want to give up, and I don't, I don't want to work with kids. I don't want to be concerned myself with the gospel and evangelization. I don't want to concern about giving to missions. I don't want to concern myself with praying and, and all those things. It just, I just want to kind of live a, a nice, easy life and go to heaven. Can I tell you, my friend, but there's a crown at stake, and that's why you can't quit. That's why you're here on Wednesday night. That's why you're here, and, and you just truly, genuinely want to see the work of God go forward. Because there's the crown at stake. I had a lady tell me this, this past month, I can't remember the exact day, she has a friend, a family member, and they've said these words, they, they don't attend a church anywhere, not really involved in the work of God. I'm going to assume they're not involved in the work of God if they don't attend a church. And they said, I've done my time at church. Had to go when I was younger, was forced to go, and I want to go to heaven, but I'm just going to leave the work of God to somebody else. I'll say, what's the consequence of of that? There's a crown at stake. See, here's the thing. I I, I don't know what everybody else is going to do, and you probably said the same thing. But in five years or 10 years or 50 years, you're going to find me somewhere doing something for Jesus. My kids may be grown and gone. I may be old and, 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 and too tired to do anything, but somewhere I'm going to be doing something for God. My friend, you keep that attitude because there is a crown of life that's awaiting you. And I just thank God. There's the people, there's an old lady that goes to the gym. She hands out these little, these little notes and their little poems. It's a little poem about Jesus. And she's given so many out, she's probably in her 80s, she forgets who she gave them to. So she'll look at me funny and she'll go, did I give you a poem? The other day I got talking to her, and she said, I, I told the Lord I'm going to give out six poems every day. She says, sometimes I give them to the same people, but that's my goal. She said, that's really all I can do right now in her 80s. I want you to know something. Don't ever give up. Don't ever stop serving. As long as you got breath in your body, as long as you got fingers to play, as long as you got money to give, as long as you got prayers to pray, as long as you got kids that you can raise, as long as you got something to do, do something for Jesus somewhere because there's a crown at stake. And lastly tonight, there's a crown of glory. First Peter chapter five. First Peter chapter five, verse number four. It says, But being examples to the flock, and when the chief the chief shepherd is manifested, you will obtain the unfading crown of glory. Let me read that to you again, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. And being examples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd is manifested, you will obtain the unfading crown of glory. And this particular crown is given to faithful shepherds of God's people. 
faithful shepherds of God's people. Not just pastors, preachers, but people who spend their time helping other people, other sheep to grow in their faith. Maybe a board member, an elder, deacon, maybe a Sunday school teacher, maybe a ministry leader, maybe a JBQ coach, oh, a host of different things, maybe just somebody that's always trying to encourage somebody in their faith. This particular crown rewards those who answer the call of leadership. And I'm so glad of the people that we have here tonight. Because, see, the thing is, is you're what I call the leaders of the body of Christ, the leaders of the church. You, you, you take it your personal mission to make sure that your family, personal mission that the people around you grow in their faith. Somebody's in need, you feel the need to pray for them. If, you, if there's an opening somewhere in a local church, you feel the need to fill it. You feel responsible. Even in the nursery, if there's somebody in the nursery that needs help, you feel the responsibility to go and help. Listen, I'm going to tell you, as long as people ask you to help in church, to disciple somebody, keep doing because there's a crown at stake. Are you with me? Don't, don't give up. Listen, in 50 years, if the Lord tarries and we're still alive somewhere, be working in a, in a, in somewhere for the kingdom of God, helping people to grow in their faith. I love when I see Brother Pace and Sister Pace back in the nursery. What are they doing? They're shepherding little babies. Wanting them to grow in their faith. I love when I walk out there and see Dylan leading kids in those crazy songs. What's he doing? He's shepherding those kids. I love when I see parents and bring their kids to Bible quiz and bring their kids to Sunday school. What are they doing? They're shepherding their kids. Listen, friends, I'm telling you, there's a crown for those who will have spent their life leading other people and guiding other people in their faith. And I want that to be you and I as well. Doesn't mean if you're called of God or called to preach or not, everybody can lead somebody and help somebody to grow in their faith in Jesus. See, because what we see here is James and John, they thought the way to, to really get up in the kingdom of God is to be close and to be kind of one of that inner circle, to be in the cabinet of Jesus. And Jesus, in his loving way, has to correct them. He tells them, look, it's not the, the, the who's who like in the world that are promoted in the kingdom of God. It's the one that serves and is effective at serving for Jesus. If it wasn't the case, then just the big names would get the crowns. crowns. The Billy Grahams would get the crowns. Charles Spurgeons would get the crowns. The ones with the names that we all know of, they would be the one that would get the reward. But what we see here is it's not exclusive to just the mighty men. It's for those who serve. Those who serve for no other reason but because they love Jesus. I appreciate God putting this particular passage in the Word of God. Some think bigger is better. Some say small is better. James and John probably thought bigger was better. And Jesus said the way to be better is to serve. Listen, friend, saint of God, don't give up. Don't stop. Don't, don't, don't coast in this life. Spend your time. Spend your money. Spend your energy for the kingdom of God in a local church somewhere. Lots have given up. Lots have, in this race have fallen. Many have dropped out. But my prayer is that you and I, that you and I, Father, tonight, amongst this crowd, 
your precious people. And Lord, each one of us one day is going to be like those that have gone on before us. And we're going to stand before you. We're going to give an account for our lives. We're going to have a conversation with heaven about the time we spent on this earth. And there are rewards, the things that we will receive for what we've done in the body. And I do pray that we'll be diligent. I pray we'll be faithful to continue to walk in, in such a way as to receive these rewards. When we get there, we won't need them. God, there's no reason to have them. And all we'll do is give them back to you because you alone are worthy. And so I pray in Jesus' name that everyone would be diligent to continue the race. Even in times when maybe the prayers aren't answered like we think they should. Times we maybe didn't do it right, but the whole thing is we'll full endure and persevere. There's a blessing that's waiting for us. And so I do pray that not just those here, but God, those that have this desire to be faithful to Jesus while they have breath in their body. And I give you praise. Ask it in your name. Thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that it challenges you to dig deeper into the Word of God and grows your faith. If you would like to reach out to us, please visit our website at www.mybethel.net. Thank you.